Welcome to a special episode of How to Go to Work. Today, our guest is the legendary Nell Gifford. This show was recorded shortly before Nell's death in December 2019. I travelled to Gifford Circus HQ, Fennel's Farm, to interview her during a challenging and painful time. And I am so grateful that she was generous enough to find room for this conversation when she had so many other preoccupations and critical priorities. We are lucky to have captured her thoughts on work, creativity, collaboration and magic, and I'm confident that so much of what you're about to hear will resonate and inspire. This episode is dedicated to the Gifford Circus family, who continue to spread joy, colour and Nell's trademark of anarchic and dazzling delight in her memory. Welcome to How to Go to Work, the podcast that explores ways to get started. I'm author Lucy Clayton and each week I'll be asking a guest to take us right back to the beginning. We'll be talking to people from all sorts of industries about how they began, how they chose their career or how it chose them, how they've met challenges or exploited chances, the times when they've been held back or inspired further. We know that even if you've had good support at home and in education, there are lots of things no one tells you about making the transition into the workplace. It's an almost universal rite of passage, and yet it's still shrouded in mystery. A lot of this is simply because people can forget to talk about those early moments of their career once they reach the apex of it. So for young people, it's often hard to imagine what the journey looks like to the job of your dreams. So we're going to find out from the people who have been there and done all that. And today I'm talking to Nell Gifford, founder of Gifford Circus. She's a horsewoman, ring mistress, entrepreneur and the creative force behind an entertainment and art form that delights audiences of all ages. This is my job, she says, and I feel lucky to have it. The circus is very therapeutic. It's a community and a really fun way of living. And that's why I'm so pleased she's agreed to talk to me about how to go to work. Thank you for having me here at HQ. Thank you for coming to talk to me. I think perhaps more than anyone else I've spoken to, there feels like there's a relationship between childhood and the things, the fantasy things we might do as children, want to do as children when we grow up and what you do as a grown up. Can you tell me what did you want to be when you were a kid? I wanted to be a monkey trainer in a circus when I was a child. I, I wanted to be that because I had a really kind of quite, big obsession with monkeys when I was a child and really wanted to have a pet monkey and work with monkeys. And so I remember that being kind of my first intention was to be a monkey trainer in a circus. And But it was more to do with working with monkeys than working mm-hmm. in the circus, which looking back on it, it seems quite a strange coincidence, really. Or was it coincidence? Right. Um, but that, that's like an early childhood memory. Mm-hmm. And what was your first proper job as a teenager? Or So the first job that I got paid for as a teenager was working for um, a family who lived in the next door village. And they had a business renting out horses and carriages for weddings. And they paid me £10 a day to go with them to the wedding in my riding clothes as a groom. And it felt amazing to earn £10 and to think that if I did... 10 days I'd have a hundred pounds and I remember thinking that was that just sort of signaled an extraordinary freedom um and I enjoyed working with them going traveling outside of the village where I lived and going to an event I mean part of their little team 
I think I only did it once or twice, but mm. I do remember that quite clearly. And um, and then I guess the next time I worked was at university, um, working in nightclubs behind bars and in cloakrooms and not feeling that I was really cut out to be an employee. That's interesting. So you enjoyed that first experience and what the, I guess what work, the way the world opens up when you start working. But it's funny, I'm definitely an employee. <laughs> um, so I think it is interesting when you, I mean, you know, you would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur? Do you find? I think I am. And I think that, but I also think that I'm quite not very well organised. I think it, I think I found the workplace really perplexing mm. as a, as a young person, as a young adult. Um, I found it so difficult working in offices because I wanted to be outside and I felt vulnerable to the office politics. I didn't feel like I could could really kind of cope with the the interpersonal stuff. Um, And I think I'm quite a loner and I think maybe I've always sought to be alone in the workplace. So even when I'm at work now, I do I am I do notice that I spend a lot of time on my own and I always used to spend my time on my own. When I when I first started to work on circuses, I I think I always kind of would be one of those people, oh they keep themselves to themselves. Right. And I think I still do at work. It's yeah. It's strange. I'm not a particularly sort of readily sociable person. Mm. But I wonder if that's also to do with your creative process and needing to be a slightly separate in order to, to have space to create things. That yeah. isn't necessarily a social activity, is it, for everybody? No, and I that that's and as I've kind of gone into sort of middle age, like I've I I know that that's my happy place is is on my own with the radio playing, painting whilst at the same time. So last night I talked to my dad for an hour whilst painting in a three-hour painting session on my own in the house with the radio playing and worked out a whole lot of strategy stuff to do with the circus in my mind and had a lot of fun doing a piece of a piece of painting work. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely need withdrawal from people time to work mm. things out. Yeah. I totally understand that. And I think it's really important, especially as a young person starting out, to try and identify those feelings. So so to be able to say, I am uncomfortable with this kind of either culture or environment, I guess, in the you know, whether it's office politics or whether it's the values of an institution, if it doesn't feel right, I think you have to try and respond to that. Even that's really hard when you're first starting out because you don't have a lot of experience. You don't have a lot of experience. And it's also what the, your home culture, because you're so close to your home culture. My mum was not a working mum. She was a stay-at-home mum. And she was of a kind of a generation and a, in a way um, a kind of English type of woman that wouldn't, wouldn't really expect to work. Mm. I mean, she did some sometimes have jobs but she definitely wasn't a you know she definitely wasn't a, a career working mum absolutely not and my dad is was very career orientated and worked as a tv film director and he um i think my kind of work ethic comes from my dad mm. um but he'd always worked 
away in London. So we, so his work was something kind of deep to uh, to us as children, like something deeply mysterious and kind of glamorous right, that right. happened in London. And then he comes back. Yeah, <laughs> and it was kind of to do with. It was always. I always used to hear him talking about producers and going, and I knew it was to do with having lots of lunches with producers. And, <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, and being on, and then going off shooting, and then he'd be completely away. So I, I didn't really know what a workplace really felt like. Mm. I still find the office um, difficult. So one of the mo- more challenging aspects of my job now, I think, is making sure that there is a, a healthy office culture and that the like it's when to respond to politics when to just know that it's just politics i think i'm hyper reactive and sensitive so i've tended to try to fit um try to mend things and have things out with people and get things right when sometimes i think i've been sort of that's trying to do something impossible and actually pointless and it's just it's just the way that politics between people are. I think I've got better at kind of identifying when a change needs to be made or when... So it's kind of picking battles. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that sort of learning to stand further and further and further back. And I think think the problem with that is you can end up putting people... People can under... Become... Start... But at the same time, making sure that people are supported and not under too much pressure. So it's, I find that, I mean, this sort of that side of things is really is really difficult. Mm, I think it's so messily human, isn't it? It's just mm, you know, yeah. and I'm always surprised. And this sounds horribly kind of arrogant in the retelling, but like you, I think I'm a very responsive person, so I feel like I should fix things if it, a problem arises. Mm. And I'm always surprised and quite delighted, I guess. And actually, if you stand back, some most things resolve themselves yeah, without. They do. And I, that's something that is not my instinct at all. I'm much more sort of I'll mm. pounce on that and try to help, and often I think make it far worse as a consequence yeah. of that. But there, there's a lot of stuff it, I think to do with leadership, which is about it's you know it's about empowering other people and letting people make take like letting people make decisions. Um, sort of a letting go. But everything takes time to learn and there's a lot of things that I wish that I knew had known earlier. Tell me how we got from those early university experiences of, of work to founding the circus. And looking back, reflecting on that now, it's the most incredibly brave thing to do. Does it feel like that when you reflect on that time? My dad said, oh, you're bloody minded and I think there is a certain amount of kind of bloody mindedness needed in building a really complicated business and I was supported by my ex-husband who so we did the thing together and it was a joint effort and so there was so when I felt like giving up he would push on and vice versa and I mean, I think that, you know, you have to just be like, kind of really intolerant of a sort of laziness. You can't allow people to, around you to be lazy. You have to keep people focused. You have to keep um, listening all the time to people's ideas and sort of knowing whose ideas to, to sort of implement. And, um, and always kind of looking at ways to improve. Like, it's always about improving. It's always about improving and improving the system. And do you think that um, we write in the book, we talk about 
collaboration and how a huge part of collaboration is like just identifying people that you are able to collaborate with versus assuming that you failed if you just it's the wrong casting and I can't think of a more kind of obviously collaborative process than what you do here um what do you look for in people who who you partner with creatively and who Um, has that changed I just I think that's such a fascinating so it's looking for people that are going to be able to throw their lot in with ours who yeah people who can adapt to the sort of circus environment um and it's sort of just a kind of commitment looking for a commitment from people to throw themselves into it and not be kind of imposing an, an agenda on the circus like when direct a few directors haven't worked and it was like they were trying to force the circus into something that it could never be mm. so i think that it's about allowing it's sort of allowing the thing to take shape like allowing it to flower rather than kind of forcing it mm. but your vision for it at the beginning as i understand it was very clear and as an i've been an audience member throughout the years and that feels like the dna of that remains as true today as it did when i probably i don't even know the first time i uh i i sat in in your big top but i and is that does that feel like something that has always had clarity or is that as well something that you know you're sort of honing all the time um well, it's, I think it's just about not having too many ideas, you know, right. it's sort of like keeping it quite simple. And, you know, the simpler the ideas and the bigger the ideas, the better. Simple, big ideas. And you know, the circus needs circus needs to be bright. It needs to have a loud voice. It needs to... And so I think that not making... People are always saying, well, why don't you start a hire business hiring out costumes? People, I find that people are really good at suggesting other new businesses that I should set up alongside the circus. As if the logistics weren't enough. I know. And it's just, and and, and I I find that irritating Mm. because, you know, if we're going to do costume hire, then we're going to do the best costume hire. You know, if we, and I, so so I think that keeping the business as few working parts as possible. I mean, the circus already has a a million working parts. It's enough. It's a kind of nightmare business. As you say, it's not a straightforward business model. Nothing about that process is no, no. <laughs> off the shelf or no. there's no blueprint to follow. And I, and also, you know, you've been credited rightly with the reinvention of the medium, really, uh, mm. for a, a modern audience. I'm really, really interested in the create, like intersection between art and business. And I think like creative, it's kind of creative and commercial planning is really, really fascinating. And I'm, I want to be, better at that and um but when you say it's sort of it's staying true to its intention i think the thing is its in- intentions are only really coming through now because in the first year or two years you can't do the even with unlimited budget you still couldn't build it in a year or two years you, you just couldn't it has to right. evolve the circus so it has to evolve layer on layer it has to go through a life and it, you, things have to be tried. So, yeah, if someone said, oh, here's an open checkbook to do to do it, you still need that time. Mm, so mm. it's not just There's about, no shortcuts to that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Of realising it and putting it, putting it in front of the public and the public responding and then they start to mould it. Mm-hmm. There's a, a sort of unhelpful myth that creative people are sort of just wafting around constantly producing ideas which then flourish and actually we don't talk a lot uh, but we try to cover it in the book and I'm really fascinated by your perspective on 
the relationship between discipline and creativity because everyone that I know who produces the most impressive work, whatever format that, that kind of appears in, is disciplined about that process and Definitely. spends as much time really on the discipline as on the sort of the wafting about. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I completely believe in all those kind of old sayings about like 80% of success is turning up and, yeah. you know, it's the, the writer who writes the page one, but then continues to write page two and page three. And like, I absolutely like it's an application to the job it's doing it daily it's a meditation it's a practice it's a discipline and anybody who thinks it isn't just just really hasn't experienced it and doesn't I mean I really don't like it when people out of the art sector think that people in the art sector don't work as hard as engineers or logistics people because but that's just nonsense, basically. Um, <laughs> it's just not true. It's just not true. And it's and not- I think it misleads people, particularly people who are deciding what they want to do with their life. I think it misleads, you know, a lot of practice or honing your craft is boring. You have to just put the hours in to get the outcome. There isn't, a, there isn't again, there's no shortcut to a lot yeah. of that. I mean, I, completely. And so working, I mean, I, in the early days, I watched, a lot of circus, like hours and hours and hours and hours of circus. And I now don't really watch that as much circus still. And partly because I'm so busy and because the hospital schedule is quite prohibitive. But like that, I think that it's learning all the rules. I mean, I've heard of students going into circus schools that don't watch circus and kind of, and I just feel like, why wouldn't you learn everything you possibly could about your genre about mm-hmm. your sector like why wouldn't you go to every single circus like make no judgment on things I think that's the thing is I think that you're forced to judge quickly whether you just it's about the time that you put in watching and watching acts watching shows visiting shows asking questions I think that that's a really kind of important part of career development is being really prepared to like absolutely grill people. And I mean, that's what I do a lot of still with people whose shows or areas of work that I'm interested in is just ask them as many questions as I can. I think questions, always questions. Yeah. And I think you're right, you know, being immersive in your genre, whether that's an area of science or an area of performance, if you're in the right place, it should be a pleasurable thing to do anyway. So mm. it shouldn't feel like gruesome hard work, you know. Yeah. Um, but it is study still, isn't it? Yeah. I mean you have to you have to study it, yeah, definitely. Um and be in a kind of constant state of research around mm. It has to be, the thing has to be in your head all the time. I mean, it has, I think, to be successful, talking about being successful, and that's not necessarily, if your intention is to be successful in your career, in your chosen area, then you have to develop an obsession with it. But otherwise, don't worry and don't necessarily want to be successful because I think it possibly brings loads of compromises to do with, like, family, you know, time. So it's not like being successful is the end game for everyone but if you want to be then Mm. it has to be you've got to put all of yourself into the Mm. work I think I find it really difficult to take people who take 
time off and sort of they feel that they can't push themselves through barriers um, because it's not good for them. I find that difficult. Because your response is the opposite to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm the same, but it's, I can, it's interesting, isn't it? I always feel that people who talk about kind of work-life balance are people who are doing the wrong work. Yeah. Which sounds horribly judgmental and I don't mean it to be, but I just think that anyone I know who's passionate about the way they spend their time technically working doesn't feel like that is separate from their life, if that makes sense. It's not a split. Mm. What What's the best piece of advice you've given to a young person or to, or to actually to anyone recently, do you think, about work? Um, I gave a piece of advice to a young person today who's, one, who's 16, he's local, he wants to produce circus when he's older, and I just sent him to a learning language because I really... Circus is an international business and the, actually the UK isn't the best place for circus, so right, be bilingual, okay, minimum, yes. like be bilingual. Minimum. And actually our school system does a terrible job, I think, of setting yeah. that up. We're at a disadvantage yeah, because of our arrogance, I, I think, on that front. Um, and if I were coming to uh, have a conversation with you about working together, if you were interviewing me... <laughs> What would I'm completely skillless? Uh, what are the things that impress you in that conversation? To people's the quality of people's ideas and what they say, what they what their ideas are. Like how much are they recycling? Like how much laziness is there in their work? Like how much is it recycling? Is it cut and paste? Are they cutting and pasting other people's ideas into the work, or is it their ideas? And I think. You know, it is a business. It's like people who are aware that they've got to make money for the, you know, that that it's like, it is, that is, that they have to understand, like, that they are kind of aware of the whole of the business somehow. I don't know. That sounds really ruthless, but I just No, no, I totally, yeah. I suppose more than perhaps in any other industry from... The outside. I mean, I, I think what you do is kind of, it's more than entertain. It's your world building. Yeah. You, know, you're, you create this from the moment you sort of arrive on site, whether that's a, I mean, whatever farm or field that is. Mm. And this is really important for an audience member is that you feel like you're entering a completely different conjured space, I guess, that mm. has a different relationship with the world we've just left behind. And that is exactly the sort of magic you want to that sort of transformative feeling is what you want to produce for an audience member but for people who are part of that building process some of that romance needs to also be realism doesn't it so you say it has to function as a business in the whole yeah and it's sort of people who kind of like that's quite sort of important to show an awareness but I think it's a sort of quality I think laziness is such a difficult quality in people and like that's what you're like really looking to talk about which is also quite hard to identify in, in a just quick a few time. conversations yeah. <laughs> uh, to sort of weed that out yeah I've definitely got that wrong before <laughs> um who has been the biggest influence on you do you think um I mean my dad I really ask a lot of advice um lots of people there's not like one person mm. like I'm kind of People kind of hold on to, like, I'm really, I really love, like, Vivian Westwood, her career and the way she's held on to who she is and kind yeah. of um, held on to her kind of eccentricity and self. Uh, you know, people who do the create, who kind of hold it together for a long time and they do, they 
the art and they do the business and they do the sort of team management, someone like kind of Mick Jagger or something. I find really, <laughs> yes. like really, yeah. you know, really held it together. Like the band haven't, I mean, I'm not saying it seems, but you know, they, like they're really interesting businessmen. The totally. Well, it's a, it's a whole, yeah, it's an empire. Yeah. And they've, you know, there must have been thousands of times when I'm sure, you know, the politics run really, really deep and but they've kind of held that like I think that's clever and that's I've you, never thought about that before. Like, but yeah. Wily. It's wily, but also real resilience because actually God, I mean, I dread to think the number of times that could have completely imploded. imploded. Yeah. Uh, and and culturally, we celebrate that actually, don't we? Particularly in the arts, we say, "Oh well, you know, they've kind of burnt out, or they." And that's the sort of glamour no, to that. No, and but yeah. what you're saying is actually there's real honour in the opposite, which I love. Yeah, that they've yeah they keep going. They've kept going, and they've they're, they're wily. You know, they've ducked and dived their way through, it, and that's so interesting and inspiring. Um, I guess, but then. I think sort of really well-run businesses like the village shop in Barrington um, in Sherbourne up the road, like there's two uh, gay couple that run that and they're two girls and they just, it's just really well-run, you know, mm-hmm. and they've got really good stock and they've just, they've just turned this village shop into a little kind of foodie, but it still is a proper village shop and people go there for the paper, but they've also got like really quite good foodie credentials. It's like, that's really well run. It's open all the time. Yeah. Like just well run businesses. It's, I yeah. love that. Um, okay. Uh, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? I guess that just to, I, I kind of wish that I'd not spent quite as much time going out and drinking. <laughs> And I wish that I had, um, I wish I'd just been more confident in myself. I'm not very confident in myself. And I wish, I think confidence, I think someone like Jamie Oliver has got like a massive self-confidence, you know, like when you see like early sort of interviews with him in Downing Street, he just was confident. And like, I think confidence can take you a long way. And I feel like I, I really, I'm not, I've, that's been really difficult. That has been a long time to learn to be confident. And I wish I'd learned to be confident when I was younger. Do you think it is something you can learn when you're younger? I don't know. I really don't know. I but... don't know. I think you could probably give it a whirl, though. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I mean, Jamie Oliver has that uh, that sort of swagger that comes from... But I, I don't think... think he has got... Swagger. I really don't. I think he's absolutely sure of. It. I don't think he's quite. I think he's got. He's absolutely sure of himself. I think swagger is more of a. I mean, I I, I know what you mean. Like he's a good talker. Like he can yeah. talk. I'm thinking of him not so much now, not the grown up version, but as you say, that sort of early, the kind of nineties version of him felt like. I wonder whether that comes from. Yeah, maybe it is just being totally sure of yourself and then there's a pleasure in the way that that's, that plays out. Mm. I think being a good talker when you're yeah. young, like I wasn't a very good talker. Right. I was kind of, I found my own voice really difficult to manage right. when I was young. Whereas I think that he, and I think there is actually a phobia. I think I almost had a phobia of talk. There is actually a thing which is a phobia of talking. And I think that I was a bit phobic of talking. I really found it difficult to like say something and, kind of everyone stop and listen I just found that really right. embarrassing and I think I was a bit phobic whereas I think that he was a good talker and that gets you quite far yeah yeah. I'm really interested in the 
seasonality of what you do. So I was interviewing a nurse, uh, Molly Case, who is also a poet, and she said that she, when she first did a shift system, a shift, she went from normal nine to five to doing shift work. It completely unlocked her whole life, and she realised that that was how she loved working, which I found really interesting. Thinking about the patterns that we work, and obviously you have sort of high season when the circus is on tour and you're performing all the time. Is that something that's really important to you? The sort of the rhythm, I guess, of the year and the way you work. Well, it does rejuvenate for the new year, and you can. You know, you can get to the end of the season and you can change things around. There's a natural rejuvenation, which is great. For me, it's less and less seasonal, but it is less work, I guess, when the show's not on the it's road. It's different work, I guess. It is, but I, a lot of the work is in studios and it's in meetings and, and the work in the field is great and really fun. And I do love the touring, but... Um, yeah, I think it definitely has a kind of rejuvenation. You're very much central to the creation of a whole culture here, workplace culture. Uh, do you think that that's been a conscious thing as or does it? Because, you know, I've sort of been sitting outside before we started this conversation and it feels like a very family environment in that, you know, people are laughing and they are tender and it's the opposite of office politi- politics I suppose oh, to the I'm casual really observer. Happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that because I feel that a lot of the time it's quite <laughs> quite brisk and brutal I mean I hope that it's not and I'm really happy to hear that feedback actually. My heartfelt thanks to Nell Gifford for adding her voice to this project. It is particularly poignant to share it with you all now. If you know anyone who's making decisions about who or what they want to be at work and in the world, then please recommend this programme. Links to How to Go to Work, the book, and Gifford Circus are in our show notes. Their 20th anniversary tour, The Hooli, has, like so many other creative endeavours at this unprecedented time, suffered a setback due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Rehearsals are paused for now. But you can buy gift vouchers for the future and wonderful, wonderful things from their online shop. So follow the link in our show notes. Please do support them now, knowing that they'll be back, wilder and more magical than ever, soon. Thanks to Mark, our editor, to Tessa Carnegie for making this episode possible, and to you all for listening. Join me, Lucy Clayton, next time for more How to Go to Work.